following message is distributed by the Evangelical Free Church of Salt Lake City. More information is available at our website, www.slcevfree.org. Let's pray. From Isaiah 61. The Spirit of the Lord, God, is upon me because the Lord has anointed me to bring the good news to the poor. He has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives and the opening of the prison to those who are bound, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor and the day of vengeance of our God, to comfort all who mourn, to grant those who mourn in Zion, to give them a beautiful headdress instead of ashes, the oil of gladness instead of mourning, the garment of praise instead of a faint spirit, that they may be called oaks of the righteousness, the planting of the Lord, that he may be glorified. They shall build up the ancient ruins. They shall raise up the former devastations. They shall repair the ruined cities, the devastations of many generations. Lord, I pray that that would be our hope too. That we would wait with such anticipation for the glorious year of the Lord's favor. This hope has carried many along. And I pray that it would still be our hope today. Be with me this morning, Lord, that I would speak clearly, that I wouldn't get in the way of your truth. I pray that your spirit would call us back in line if we are chasing after something else, that it would convict us, that it would Your Spirit would encourage us as we read through this text this day. Help us to see the glorious Son that you so willingly gave because you are a loving Father. Be with us this morning in your Son Jesus' name. Amen. Excuse me. So the last little while, Pastor Steve has been working through the book of 1 Samuel. And uh, about two weeks ago, he he finished that book, and we'll be picking up 2 Samuel in the future. But at the close of 1 Samuel, we have King Saul and his sons dead in battle. And David, the anointed one, the one after God's own heart, is the new king. And David has been promised by the Lord that his throne, his kingdom would endure forever. And uh, I I don't know how many of you know the story of David, and I don't want to spoil it for you. So uh, if you want, you can close your ears for a minute here. Guess everybody knows it. 
David dies. His sons, they all die too. If you were to go right now, jump on a plane and fly to Israel, there is no palace for David's family. There is no throne waiting for someone to sit on it. So what happened? What happened to this promise that the Lord gave David? This promise of an eternal throne. I'm going to talk a little bit about that. As, as Steve has been preaching through that, he, he often talks of David as a type, a model. A model of this true king that would come and would reign forever. A model of this coming Messiah that they've been placing their hope in, who would redeem back Israel. This prophesied Messiah was to come from the line of David. He would gather the people together. He would rule in God's name like all the kings were supposed to, except he would rule in perfection. Not just in name, but he would fulfill the, the will of the Father. And this future rule would come not just with, with gathering people to a specific spot, a land, a place, but would be filled with blessing and restoration. Isaiah tells us in chapter 35 that, that when this Messiah, this king, would sit, the blind would see, the deaf would hear, and the lame would leap for joy. And oh, how the people of Israel wait for that day. Just as we, the church, wait for the fullness of that day. We're going to be looking at Matthew chapter 9, kind of our key text for today. But before we go into this, let me give you some background on this book. Matthew, an apostle of of Christ, writes this. And right off in the very first verse... He states that this is about Jesus, the son of David. Did you get that? The son of David. And he jumps into the genealogy of Jesus. Jesus is not only a Hebrew from the, from the family of Abraham, but he, as he traces through the family, you find that he is from the line of David. And Matthew, more than the other three gospel narratives that we have point to Jesus as the long-awaited Messiah, the son of David. I know some of you know this, but maybe some of you don't, but the word Messiah means anointed one. And not just anoint, I mean, David was anointed, Saul was anointed, not just anointing with pouring pouring oil over the head, but but a special anointing, anointing of the Spirit. And the word Christ is the Greek term. So when we say that Jesus is Jesus Christ, Christ is in a last name, it is Jesus, the anointed one. So after going through the genealogy, Matthew picks up the narrative with with his birth. You know, the story of the wise men come and eventually we jump to John the Baptist who's baptizing and then it goes to Jesus come comes to John, gets baptized, gets led out into the desert to be tempted. He starts his ministry, Sermon on the Mount is given, 
People are following him. He's starting to gather his followers. People are interested in what he's saying. There's something different about this man. And it's attractive to them. And then it happens in chapter 8 and 9. It's like, boom. Two chapters pretty much filled with miracles. Miracles. You have the unclean leopard made clean. You have the paralyzed centurion servant rises up and walks again. Peter's mother-in-law healed. The storms, the seas rage but are calmed by his words. Those controlled by demons are set free. Sins are forgiven. Diseases cured. A dead girl restored to life. The blind see and the mute sing. Sounds a little bit like Old Testament prophecy, doesn't it? And there's a reason it sounds a little bit like Old Testament prophecy. And there's a reason Matthew writes this down. It's to point out it's being fulfilled. This long-awaited kingdom that would be ruled by the son of David is breaking in. It's coming in. So let's read Matthew chapter 9. We'll start in verse 27. And as Jesus passed on from there, two blind men followed him, crying out loud, Have mercy on us, son of David. When he entered the house, the blind men came up to him. And Jesus said to them, Do you believe that I am able to do this? And they said to him, Yes, Lord. Then he touched their eyes, saying, According to your faith, be it done to you. And their eyes were opened. And Jesus sternly warned them, See that no one knows about it. But they went away, spreading his fame throughout all the district. So as Jesus is going through these two chapters, as as recorded by Matthew, he's healing and he's performing miracles. And and eventually he, he ends up at this house of a girl who has passed away. I don't know if any of you grew up in a small town or I know we have some ICS kids who go here, a small school. But if someone famous shows up in your town and it's small, everybody knows about it. So word gets out that Jesus has come to this house. So these blind men and most likely everybody else with some sort of sickness, illness, in disease, um, in need of something, probably go to the house waiting to catch him as he leaves. Jesus walks out, and these two men cry out, Have mercy on us, son of David. They're actually the the, the first two people in the Bible to call Jesus the son of David. They call out, Have mercy on us. And Jesus seems to ignore them and walks back to the home. Most likely it's it's Peter's mother-in-law's home that he's walking back to. And the way the text reads is, is as Jesus is walking back to this home, 
They're following him saying, have mercy on us. Have mercy on us. Son of David, have mercy on us. Jesus comes into the home, settles down. Somehow these men get into the home. Persistence. And Jesus says, do you believe that I can do this? Which, of course, they say, yes, that's the whole reason they were following him. Yes, yes, we do. If we didn't, we would have stayed there and waited for the next person to come through town. And Jesus says, according to your faith, this has been done to you. Now, I want to point out something here. When he's saying according to your faith, he's not saying according to the size, proportion, depth, and breadth of your faith. But according to the fact that you have faith, this is done to you. And then he warns them, don't tell anybody about this. And as I was thinking about this and looking at some of the commentaries, there's a couple views of why he warns them. But honestly, I think they're all good and justifiable reasons. And the first is, he's doing miracles. And it's the fear that maybe people are getting more caught up with the miracles than the message that I've actually come to bring. And this idea that I don't want people just coming to me just to be healed and then run away like they've not encountered the Son of God. Or I don't want people to just be caught up in the miracles and totally ignore the fact that I'm here is to go to the cross. The other reason is, and this this is just humorous to me, He is doing these awesome works. And the leaders, the Pharisees and and the scribes, they have issues with him. So if you could keep this quiet so that my disciples and I can have a little bit of a reprieve, that would be great. But he tells them, go keep it quiet. But but I don't know about you. There was a church that I was part of, and there was a gentleman who was blind. If he came to church the next week, or the synagogue, if you will be, and didn't have his cane anymore, wouldn't something go off in your head? Or as you return home, the rock that you stubbed your foot on every week, you step right over it. Or your friends come out of the house and you say, Nate! Because you see him before you hear them. Wouldn't something trigger in the neighborhood that something is different about this person. You can't keep that quiet. They're out celebrating, proclaiming, this guy Jesus who everybody's talking about did something to me. So today I want to look at why. Why did they go to Jesus? There were other people supposedly doing healings. There are other people who were gathering disciples. Jesus didn't have the market cornered on that. Why do these blind men and the other people in these two chapters and others who come afterwards, why do they pursue and seek out Jesus? Because Jesus is the crux of the whole thing. Christ, the Son of David, is the power of the kingdom. Let me say that again. Christ, 
the Son of David, is the power of the kingdom. The Jewish people knew the prophecies of the Messiah. And, and sometimes I want to caution us a little bit because in the modern day when we read these texts, we often lean heavy only on one side of the prophecies. We say that the Jewish people of that time were just looking for a king who would raise up a political power and kick the Romans out or prior to the Romans, the Greeks or prior to the Greeks, the Babylonians or prior to the... Ba- like it, They were controlled a lot. But that's not the only thing they wanted. These blind men and others like them had hope that the fullness of the Scriptures about the Messiah would be fulfilled. That there would come a time of healing, not just to the land, but to the people. That the blind would receive sight. These men go to Jesus because He's the one everybody's gossiping about because He's performing these great signs. And their plea to Jesus is, heal us. No, it's not. Their plea to Jesus is, have mercy on us. At least the way Matthew records it, healing isn't even what they're asking for. They're saying, have mercy on us. On us. And when I sit and, and thought through this, I came to the realization that maybe these blind guys actually saw better than we first thought. Because even though they, they were physically blind and couldn't see, they saw that they and us are a people in need of mercy. But because of our sinful nature, we don't want mercy. Isn't that funny? If you have kids, you've seen this. They're stuck. But they don't want help. They're in trouble. But they want to fix it themselves. The word translated mercy there literally means pity. So they're saying, have pity on us. Pity, that's worse than mercy, isn't it? Isn't that what it triggers in your head? I'm not pitiful. I'm not broken. I don't. Do you see how pride gets in the way of redemption? We might say, have mercy on us, but we will never say, pity me. Have pity on me. If we, if we even pursue mercy or surrender, It's usually halfway. Like, I want you to help me, but I'm going to put limitations on your help. And if you won't help me the way I want to receive help, I'm going to go find somebody else. So a couple days ago, Lee and I, my my wife and I, uh, went out to get something to eat, and someone gave us, both of us, gift cards to Barnes & Noble. And uh, so after eating, we went to Barnes & Noble and... There are literally aisles and aisles of self-help books. Don't let people know you're hurting. Figure it out yourself. Buy this book and in 10 easy steps. Or if you go a little further down, if you're short on time, there's a five-step one too. 
But you could take the escalator upstairs to the corner to the, the faith Christian section, or you can even go down the road to the Christian bookstore. And it amazes me how many Christian self-help books there are. Christian self-help, that's an oxymoron. The sadder part is if you go in, I think it's a Lifeway, that when you walk in, they have like the top ten selling Christian books. It's amazing how many of the top ten Christian selling books are Christian self-help books. And the other thing that amazes me, why isn't the Bible number one? Like it, it is, it's the number one selling book, in case you didn't know that. It's also the number one stolen book in the world. Why isn't that number one? Well, because we want, we want it our way. We want it our way. These blind men saw that they did not have the power to do what they needed done. Take a look at uh, verse 28. See what Jesus says here to them. He says, Do you believe? Believe what? Believe in yourself? No. Do you believe that I, I, not you, I, do you believe that I, Jesus Christ, am able to do this? To do. Do you know what to do means? It means without limitation. That I can make without limitation. To make what without limitation? This. What is this? What are they asking for? Mercy. Do you believe that I can make without limitation mercy for you? That's, that's literally what he's saying. That doesn't make any sense in English, does it? Do you believe I can make without limitation mercy for you? He's asking the blind men and asking us as we read this today, do you believe that I am the power who can show mercy on you? And the mercy they needed is healing. That I'm the one capable of bringing mercy to this world. You see, the miracles that we find in these two chapters and later on are performed by Christ. He's the power. He's not calling on anybody else. In the Old Testament, who do the prophets call on? God. Who do the false prophets call on? They're God's. Who does Jesus call on? Nobody. He is the power of the kingdom. His disciples would later perform miracles in the name of who? Jesus. The church today, all our authority and all our power is found in one name and that is in Christ. Because of their faith, they believed that they weren't able to do it, so they follow after Christ. Their sight's restored. So, I'm trying to make this. Yeah, they'll never listen to this anyway, so. I have a family member. I'll put it this way. 
they became a family member when I got married. So now you can know what side of the family it's on. No, I'm just kidding. I had a family member who, who mocked my faith in Christ. He, he basically said to me, you know, Christianity's for the weak, the pathetic. And I looked at him and said, you know what, you're, you're absolutely right. You're absolutely right. I am weak. I'm broken. I'm pathetic. I can't do anything to fix the sin that's going on in my life. I've tried and I've tried and I've tried and it falls short every time. I praise God that He opened my eyes to that need to cry out and say, Lord, be merciful to me. Heal me. He was a little shocked by that right off the bat. Like, you're right. I don't say that a lot to him. (laughs) But I and and my family, we continue to pray for him that, that God would actually open his eyes up. That he would see he is just as pathetic as I am. Just as broken as I am. Just as messed up and lost as the rest of the world is apart from Christ. Showing mercy. Church, what power are you placing your faith in? Because we can all sit here and agree, yeah, that's awesome. God is powerful. But if we don't actually put our faith in something, what's it matter? If you want to have light and you never plug in the lamp... What's it matter that you have a generator that can produce enough power to light it? To believe in the power of Christ is not only to assure yourself of it, but to commit yourself to it. To be encouraged by it. You must commit yourself to the Son of David. Not when you want to. Not when it suits you best. But you must commit yourself to the Son of David. These these two blind men are committed to pursuing Jesus because they knew the promises of the Son of David would come not only in power, but in the very thing they're asking for. Mercy. True faith must be and always is conjoined with commitment. As I was sitting talking to someone yesterday, I gave an example that I give constantly I can have faith that a chair will hold me, but until I actually make the commitment to put my bottom in that seat, do I really believe the chair will hold me? These two blind men show their commitment to Jesus, excuse me, show their commitment to Jesus by following him to the home. For any blind man, 
at any time, past, present, into the future, it's not easy to follow someone. They show their commitment by following him. It seems that, that, that most people believe, why does Jesus ignore them initially? He, it, most people think he actually ignores them to see the depth of their commitment to their belief. Where are the other people? Where are the other blind men and women who might have shown up at that time? Where are the other sick people? There was probably, I mean, remember, Jesus is coming out of the house when these blind men meet him. If Jesus shows up in a house and raises a girl from the dead, aren't you going to be, and doctors, you've probably experienced this somewhat, go up to Jesus and say, I have this thing here. It's been there for a while. But you don't read about those people. What happened to them? Maybe because Jesus didn't snap his fingers and make it go away instantly. They said, I forget him. Or maybe we read about these two men because they actually followed Jesus all the way to the final destination where the others faded away. That's commitment for these blind men. These blind men were so committed that they laid everything aside and embarrassed themselves. I mean, if you were to follow somebody around, all right, try this, try this. When Steve comes back on vacation, follow him around and say, have mercy on me, Steve. Have mercy on me. And wherever he goes, just follow him around. Get in the back seat of his car as he drives home. Have mercy on me, Steve. And then finally, maybe he'll reply to you or answer you when he's, when he's at his home. These men are laying aside everything. They are committing themselves to this one. He ignored us. We're going to keep going after him. He didn't give us the answer right away. We're going to keep going after him. How do they get in the house? You know if you're being followed by someone doing this, especially Peter. Peter's like, you know, this is my mother-in-law's place, most likely. She already doesn't like me. You know, let's keep those guys out. No, they, they were persistent. They get in, and finally they're sitting there with Jesus. That's commitment. So there are these two kingdoms. There's this kingdom of darkness and there's this kingdom of light and you have to make a commitment. And if you're not making a commitment to the kingdom of light, you've already made a commitment. This kingdom of darkness has already been defeated and will be wiped away. There's the kingdom of light. The kingdom promised to David. The kingdom where the son of David is sitting on that throne. Not... Not someone who is after God's own heart, but the one who has God's heart. Which kingdom are you committed to? Are you willing to lay aside 
what was comfortable or what's easy and follow the king. Even if that means you get embarrassed. Let me be bluntly honest here. If you have not committed yourself to Christ, you are not part of that kingdom. Here's where it gets really blunt. You're actually an enemy of the state. I plead, I plead, I plead with you. Commit. There's no halfway Christianity. When I was younger, I used to think that. You know, misused the the verse in Revelation about being lukewarm. You can't be partly for one master and serve another master. Hopefully that rings a bell of a verse. So I plead with you, commit. But, but, but this commitment isn't blind faith. Just like the, the, just like the wise men. Wrong part of the Bible here. Just like these two blind men. Why did they pursue Jesus? Why did they call out to Jesus? It wasn't any random person walking by that they said, Son of David. They say it to Jesus. Son of David, have mercy on us. Why to Jesus? Because they have heard what Jesus had already did, done, do, was doing. Conjugate that verb for me, somebody. He saw, they heard, the neighbors saw what happened to the daughter, whatever the case is. It's not blind commitment. If your faith needs encouragement, if your commitment is lacking in this, let me encourage you. Go to the gospel. Go to the gospel. This isn't blind faith. When you go to the gospel, you find a God who loved enough to send His Son and who was willing to go to the extremes to put Himself on a cross so that His people would have mercy. When you go to the Gospel, you see a God who has conquered death, who has crushed sin. Not just because He said so, but because Christ lived a perfect life. Because Christ was crucified. Because Christ was resurrected. If you were here on Easter, Steve walked through this and it was awesome because he just kept saying, I'm not even, this is just history. This is fact. Jesus existed. Jesus died. Jesus resurrected. Fact. If you go to the gospel, you find out that the creator of all things is and will redeem back creation because he's already done it. He's already begun to do it. 
Look at me. If you were able to see who I was a few years ago, if you were able to see who I was 10 years ago, you'd be impressed that I'm standing up here. If you were able to see me 20 years ago, you'd be wondering, how is he not in jail? He is insane. This son of God, this long-awaited Messiah who would sit on the promised throne of David, has come. So when we read those passages like I did at the beginning, Isaiah 61, Isaiah 35, countless other passages, we, we church, have hope because we've seen some of that already coming through. Not a promised hope of a king who might do something, but a king who has done everything. Because we can do none of it. The king who is the power. Not just pretending to have power. But we have to commit to this king. We have to commit to this king. This King Jesus, this Son of David, the Son of God, is worthy the more than praise. Worthy of way more than praise. Because He is able to do this mercy. He's worthy of more than praise. He's worthy of total commitment. If you're an heir of this kingdom of God, Be like the two blind men. Because you are. You are. You were blind and in need of mercy. And God was gracious enough to be merciful to you. You now see. You now swim in oceans of grace. So go. Celebrate. Be like the blind men. Be goofy for God. I know that's so cheesy sounding, but like, I don't know where that came from, but like, be that way. When you go home or you talk to the neighbor, is there any difference? Do you show that you see and have experienced mercy? Be joyful. Celebrate. Proclaim His fame. Jesus warns these two men, shh, be quiet. Don't tell anyone about this. Matthew doesn't close his gospel with that warning. He closes it with a commission from the very one who is merciful, who is the power. He says, go forth, preach, teach, Proclaim what I've done. Go forth. I 
pray that we as a church would be a body that is committed. Committed to the Son of David. Because we see that this long-awaited Son of David who would sit on a throne and would come not only in power but in mercy has come. Let's proclaim that in Him there is all power. Let's commit ourselves to this Son of David because in Him mercy flows. I was once blind, but now I see. I was once broken, but have been bound up. I was once imprisoned to sin, but have been set free. I have tasted the beginning of the year of the Lord. My hope and my joy is waiting for the fullness of that kingdom. Let's pray. Lord, I don't even know what to pray. Convict us, Lord. Convict us when we haven't given you our commitment. I don't mean this in a bad way or condemning way, Lord, but you convict because it opens our eyes to areas that we were actually missing out on joy. So to be convicted by you is not a bad thing, Lord. Convict us when we haven't committed, when we have blocked off parts of our life. Convict us when we try to fix ourselves. Convict us when we think we are more powerful than you. Convict us when we walk around bold enough to think we are not in need of mercy. We are not in need of a God to show pity on us. Convict us in those things, Lord, so that we would find the joy that is shown through your streams of unending love and mercy. When in your all-powerful hands, we are made new. Lord, help us to go and to be joyful as we declare the kingdom is coming, the kingdom is coming, the king has already come. Lord, help me to believe that you are able to do this. Increase my belief that you are able to do this. 
Help me to be so filled with the hope and joy of you that it would be so quickly flowing off of my lips as I have conversations with my wife and my kids and my neighbor and my coworkers and my friends and my family members. Lord, I pray this to you because I am not able to do this. I cannot save them. I cannot heal them. I need your mercy to show forth on them. Lord, I pray these things in your son's name. My, brush, my, my, my precious king's name. The Messiah, not only of Israel, but of all who call on him. Amen. Thank you for listening to this message recorded at the Evangelical Free Church of Salt Lake City in Salt Lake City, Utah. Feel free to make copies of this message to give to others, but please do not charge for those copies or alter the content in any way without permission. We invite you to visit our website at www.slcevfree.org or call us directly at area code 801-943-0091. Our mailing address is Evangelical Free Church of Salt Lake City, 6515 South Lion Lane, Salt Lake City, Utah, 84121.